0: My name's Brendan Kelly and I'm joined in the studio today by Perry Martin. Welcome, Perry. Welcome. Looking forward to today as usual. Today's conversation is all about why so many small businesses fail. Now, if we can learn from what other people have done in such a way that allows us to not make those mistakes, then we've got a far better chance of success. There's a, a common theme around it that, that suggests that um, 9 out of every 10 businesses fail in the first year. Well, that's actually not a correct statistic. Uh, I'm not sure why people put it out there. I think it's just dramatic and it sells stuff. But um, if you look at the actual statistics, it works along the lines of 30% of all new businesses fail in the first two years. So 70% make it. of all businesses fail in the first five years. 66% or two-thirds of all businesses fail in the first 10 years. And only 25% make it to 15 years or more. So if you're looking to undertake a business and a business venture for yourself, I'd like to suggest you're in this for the long haul. You're not looking to just... Let's experiment with something. Let's just flip it out there and see how we go and expect to crash and burn in the next few years. That's probably not what you're coming from. Or if you've been in business and you're looking to expand, you're not looking to expand so that you can crash and burn later. The the whole objective of getting into a business is for the purpose of being able to succeed, to create wealth for yourself, to provide the lifestyle that you want at the end of the day and to feel fulfilled and to enjoy the journey that life is while you're on this planet. So if those statistics are what they are um, and they were sourced from uh, Investopedia, so they're not not, uh, from a a small business uh, association, Um, if those statistics are what they are, then how do we give ourselves an advantage over the mass population that allows us to be one of those 15-year-plus veterans, allows us to have sustainability for the revenue, the lifestyle, and the fulfilment that life can be for us again while we're on this planet. Now, Perry, you've been doing your business for how long? You know,
1: 25. I keep, I'm a lot older than I realise. I keep having birthdays. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> funny. That, that yeah. Just Actually, over early.
1: 30 years, over 30 years I've been in business. So 33 years I've been in business, yeah. 33 and, years, which is fantastic. 33 years, yeah. And interesting enough, just coming back to what you were saying, I was thinking about it. Um, about learning from people's failings. And because, you know, we typically hear, oh, you've got to follow, you know, the gurus that have done, achieved this and achieved that, which is really good advice. But as you were talking, I was thinking to myself, well, to be honest, it's been a just such a bonus and a benefit for me working with business owners day in, day out for so many years because I see why they're failing and it scares the bejesus out of me. And so I look and I go, am I doing what they're doing? Uh, To be honest, that's been a big part of how I operate. So we really learn a lot when we learn from others' mistakes that we don't need to do ourselves. But that's the key, isn't it?
0: To be able to learn from other mistakes rather than going to reinvent those mistakes all on our own, all over again, just to prove the same point that everyone else has proved. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So exactly. what I want to do now is go through those mistakes. But here's a thought. Um, my role is centred more on uh, supporting investors in, in creating wealth for themselves. So they may want to remain employed and, and become uh, property investors to support the wealth creation. Uh, they may want to get out of their job and, and start a, uh, a business enterprise, which is in the field of property investing. If you are listening to this from the perspective of, I'm a property investor. You're talking about business that doesn't fit. I'd like to disagree. In fact, all property investors are taking on a business. If you're dealing with money for the purpose of creating more money, for the purpose of creating wealth for yourself and enjoying life along the way and having a better financial future in the end, then you are in business. You are taking on property investing as a business. There are a lot of property investors out there who just buy a property, stick it to the bottom shelf, not worry about it and hope and pray that it's going to work. But you and I, as, as, investors who are active in the market and looking to create something for ourselves are not thinking like that. And therefore my encouragement to you is to think like I am actually a business owner. I am actually
1: looking to create an enterprise that generates money. It's really interesting, Brendan, as you talk about this, because I'm thinking about a pool of my clients that are investor business owners. Many, they do both and fascinating because they approach investing as a business. So there's, there's, that's just their mindset. I'm in business. I'm in the business of making money. I might have this accounting business that I run, but I also have this property business that I run. So all my clients, for the most part, think in terms of business. I am a business person, whether I'm investing or got a conventional business. So that makes sense.
0: Now, it's interesting you say that because when I first talk to the people who get into property investing to take it on as a a process for creating wealth for themselves, they don't generally come from that perspective. They come from a perspective which is, I'm an employee looking to do something on the side to help myself out a bit down the track. And the mindset shift required is actually part of the journey of creating the business mindset that allows them to take responsibility for the financial outcome that they're doing using property investing.
1: Yeah. Really interesting. You're saying this because I actually see them as two different types of individuals. Cause obviously I meet those that are working in jobs and investing and they don't operate like business people. They don't even think like business people. And I've got to tell you one thing that I would notice about most and they're not hungry enough because they've got safety in, in, in their employment and you know that just sort of lowers their motivation. Where if I look at the business owners, and when I say business owners, they own businesses, but they think of it investing as their business. They're hungry <laughs> because they have that typical mindset of a business owner: I'm responsible for everything like that I create. So let's then take the the
0: thinking around: we are all in business for the purpose of creating the financial future that we want for ourselves. And how can we do this better such that we don't make the mistakes that others have fallen into? So let's go through some of the typical mistakes and some of the things that you need to think about that will help you to be better at, I guess, creating off and running your business. Um, In getting started or in taking on an expansionary path uh, in your business or just refining the business that you're in, it is incredibly important to investigate the market thoroughly. Now, the message here is you need to know who is going to buy from you, not who you're selling to, but who is going to buy from you. Admittedly, sales marketing is is paramount in the success of any business, but who is going to buy from you is the person you need to be most intimately aware of. And why? Because if you know their idiosyncrasies, if you know your target market really well through research and surveys, if you know who that person is and you know what need you are satisfying, then you can simply put marketing messages out there that promote the satisfaction of that need. It's like the story about um, uh, selling drill bits. When you're selling, when, when you've got a, a hardware store, let's say, and you're looking to sell drill bits, they're, they're the little things that the drill into things when you attach them to a, 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 a drill, mm. goes in, hole. What you're actually selling is not the drill bit itself. You're selling the capacity to make a hole. So what you're selling is you can have a hole of any size, and here's the tool to do it. So you don't look at how beautiful a drill bit is, Um, You sell the ability to make a hole, but the ability to make a hole time and time again with accuracy to the dimensions that you want to do. And that's what precision comes in for the actual tool itself. So the marketing message is different to the product you're selling sometimes. And to know what the customer's needs are is to know what need you satisfy and your ability then to market appropriately.
1: And I'd like to add to that too, because when you know your market thoroughly, when you know who your best client is and how to communicate to them. Obviously, that's really important. But secondly, the other question once you've identified that target market is why would they buy from me? Why would they buy this service, this tool, this product from me? Because that starts to dig you into a deeper look at uh, what is your uniqueness, what is your competitive advantage? Because one of the mistakes that I see consistently and just consistently with the, with the clients that we work with is they might have really defined their, their target market, but they haven't defined how they're unique and haven't communicated that properly. And the issue there is then that, that you're often competing against hundreds or thousands of other businesses that are also targeting that unique market so it's really important that you define why you're unique, what your competitive advantage is, and that question. Well, why would they buy from me? Sort of starts to prompt inner analysis of your competitive advantages. Now, from a property perspective, from a property investing perspective, active property investing, where you're say putting back
0: into the market a new product or a renovated house or a um, a block of land or something you just created wasn't there before. And the question becomes, well, why would they buy from me? Generally speaking, you want to put back into the market what the target market needs. And if you know what the target market needs better than your next, better than the next guy, then you have a greater chance of getting your property sold sooner and for the price that you want. I often speak about a parable around um, uh, a bear in the forest. I don't know if you and I have mentioned this at all, um, Perry, but... But I'm looking forward to hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> the concept is, um, imagine you're with a mate of yours, Perry, and you are in the forest in, in uh, America, enjoying an evening meal, cooking a steak tent. It is just a magnificent night, And you're amongst the pines. And from behind the largest pine tree, right next to your campsite, out comes this eight-foot drooling grizzly bear do you have to outrun the bear to survive? The answer is no. You have to outrun your mate. Cause while the bear is busy, you can get away. Right. Marking...
1: <laughs> 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 a, very, plenty correct. Parable. I like it. Really I like it. Um, true. But when it's market forces, it's true. Correct. So,
0: You want to be the one that sells first. You want to be the one that gets away. You want to be the one that sells first and sells for the most money. You want to be better than the guy next to you. So the more you know your target market, the more you know that what you produce is something that is desired by the people who you're producing it for, the more likely your product will get sold before the next guy's product. Thus increasing market share, increasing presence and, and market success Increasing revenue, increasing cash flow, increasing wealth and well-being. Okay. So as part of the marketing and understanding what the client base want, what are they willing to pay for what you offer? It is imperative that you know that. Whether it's a drill bit, whether it is a service, whether it is a house, what is it that your target market is looking to buy from you and how much are they willing to spend? And you really need to know if what you're producing is and what you're looking to to contribute to people's needs is in a saturated market or not. If you're providing a unit in an abundance of units, it's a pointless exercise. The competition will be too tight. You're in oversupply. So what you don't want to do is get into a business where there's a whole pile of oversupply. So again, knowing the target market, knowing the needs, knowing the demand for your product, relative to the current
1: supply, will allow you, again, the edge to create that wealth yourself. And, by the way, coming back into that, when, when the, it, even within any normal business, when the market's tightening, when there's a slowdown in the economy, we also when you've got lots of competitors working into a space, Again, it's really important, I just come back to that previous lesson, that if you have really worked out what your competitive advantage is, they'll buy from you and not your competitors. really, really important, and you can typically pay more if you position, they'll pay more if you position well. If Brilliant. the marketplace bears it. Correct. And,
0: oh, very good, very good. Okay, next point. As we, as we work through these because we have a small amount of time to give you as much information as possible. We want you to plan your location, your internet presence, your sales and marketing well. The primary objective here is to be fully aware of the activity that you need mm. to undertake in order to be in the right place at the right time for the right price and the right product and planning and investigation are the answer to that. Now, for property or for retail retail sales, um, location location is everything. For if your business relies on foot traffic, and and your business whether in property investing relies on foot traffic, you need people to come to you. It needs to be in the suburb, it needs to be in the the better parts of the streets. It needs to provide the services and access to the services around. If you're doing a retail sales or you're doing something that walks in off the street. Um, to buy what it is that you need to sell locations, everything. So spend the time to investigate the area and the market that you're putting yourself and locating yourself within. Yeah.
1: So, I, have a, I have a, I have a, it talks to this different angle on, it, but talks to it. I have a basic underlying principle. He who markets best wins the game. And it's simple as that. so, most business owners typically don't understand this. It just makes total sense. But if you're – it's marketing and sales that makes money. It's actually the only activities in the business that make money. Brendan?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Just, just bear with me because what most people do is they come to business and they're in love with their product or service.
0: Or <laughs> if they're starting out, they, they have created something new. And no they're they think-
1: passionate about it. Yep, that is
0: this, and, and the product is everything. Yeah, Create yeah. a
1: mouse trap, they will come. Exactly. And uh, it, it, it couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, one of my uh, mentors used to tell me, he said, the world's full of uh, broke experts and um, master craftsmen. Mm. And he was basically saying that he travelled all over the world. you see these people that were just exceptional at what they did or the services that they provided, but they were out-competed by their opposition who were worse than them but just had really good marketing and sales processes in place. And, you know, people get upset about that, but that's just the reality of life and it's a really good thing to understand because if if we just come back to this core thing about today, it's about how to survive, how to prosper, not how to to, to, say that you don't go out of business. What Brent and I are talking about now is actually one of the most essential things. If you master marketing and sales, you win the game. Simple. But you need to be prepared to pay
0: for good marketing and the ability to close sales. Um, Just a a side thought based on what you are just saying then, Perry. There are a lot of people I know who I speak to um, in my mentoring role about wanting to start a business or wanting to get out there. And they feel the need to perfect their product before putting it on the market. They feel the need to have the perfectly tweaked model of what it is that they want out on the market because then people will buy it. If it's not quite right, people won't buy it or they'll find flaws. I'd like to suggest differently. Produce it to about 80% and solve the rest of the problems along the way.
1: Oh, I'd, I'd, def- I'd definitely say that. And I'd also say those, those, those particular individuals will display a whole pattern that keeps showing up in their business because the underlying belief system is you know, displayed when your clients are doing that is it's not good enough yet. It's not good enough yet. Now, if you dig deeper, it actually says, I'm not good enough yet. That's just how the projection tends to work. So if it's not good enough yet and they're constantly trying to perfect perfect that uh, the, the, their product, what will happen once their business is up and running, I guarantee they get stuck into everything else going trying to perfect it, perfect it, perfect it. And then they'll start to spend less time out there marketing and selling it. You get yeah. it? It's like yeah. it's just too much time. I see business owners all the time trying to get everything right rather than just get out and sell, sell. And at the 80%, you can't go underneath 80% because then you get clients that are unhappy, but 80% and then work on the problems that solves the problem. By the way, just speaking to that, I've seen heaps of people assume what the problems are to try and fix their product or their business before they go out to the marketplace. They go out into the marketplace and find out that they were just assumptions and they're not the, 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 the problems. The, the, the marketplace tells you what the problems are. So go out to the marketplace, find out what the problems are, and then spend the money fixing it. Yeah.
0: yeah, I back you wholeheartedly. The number of people go, I know everything about my product and I think I know what's wrong with this. Therefore, I'll go about perfecting what I think is wrong with this. May not, in fact, be the problem at all. And it's the people out in the world that tell you what the problem is by not buying or by bad for, or feedback saying that, oh, if it could do this, it would be great. And, we, and yep. there's often things you've never thought of. Or, or not considered as, as important, but people really need. And, and that's a disconnect between you and the market because you're coming from an ideal product perspective, not a marketing or sales or usability perspective from the, the consumer's end. Yeah, correct. Yep. So our encouragement to you is 80% is good enough. Get it out there and tweak along the way. Don't try and perfect it. Interesting, though, you say that that people... Who do have a it's got to be perfect before it gets out there product and then business and then marketing messages and then and then and then is all a form of procrastination based on um, I'm not good enough and if I'm not good enough and I don't have the right product and I don't represent myself perfectly out there then I'll be seen as bad so there is there, there really is a psychological perspective in this. That is underlying that people don't see.
1: Yeah, they don't even know it. They don't even see it. They're just tinkering away on their business, doing this in their business, trying to get it ready, getting that perfect, getting that perfect, fixing that. And that's the underlying belief system, behavior pattern they don't even know about. And it's stopping them getting out there and doing what they need to do, which is to, to sell.
0: To but market, the reason... The reason, one of the reasons why I say why they don't get out there is because they're not perfect. Therefore, as you say, they don't feel good enough to be able to sell it. They don't have enough belief in their product or to be able to sell it. It's not a lack of uh, great product. It's not a lack of being able to fill a service. It's a lack of belief that it's not perfect yet. Therefore, I'm not ready to sell it and I can't sell it now because it's not right yet, which is inappropriate and, and really undermines your ability to make a
1: business work. It's dangerous and damaging. Yes. <laughs> Remember, we come back to the key. It, it, business takes cash flow, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in a second, and marketing and sales is the only thing that produces cash flow. The only thing. I've just I've realised that over the years. Only thing. Right? Delivering the product, delivering the service, running your admin team, doesn't make money, only marketing and sales. So there's another way we can actually uh, sort of uh, support that statement. As Brendan said, you've got to spend good money on having experts um and systems and processes that help you market. Um, and if you don't have lots of funds, you're gonna to have to learn to market yourself, meaning you've got to upgrade your marketing and selling skills. Now just and become an expert in that in that area. Now this is just quickly with this, and you'll see this all the time, Brendan. What you'll see is business owners who are expert at their subject at their expertise. Let's just say they're an electrician. Let's just say they're a property developer. Let's just say they style people's hair. And they're really passionate about the product, their service, but they're not that passionate about marketing and sales. So there's already an unconscious tendency for a lot of people just to be really expert at what they do, where they'll make way more of that if they just become an expert in marketing and sales. It's probably more important or just as important as being an expert at what they do. Now, there are people out there who go, so I, "I know, I
0: know," and, and or oh, <laughs> oh, marketing don't make me do marketing, yeah, and and if you have a perspective like that, then you are destined to a really troubled startup or a really troubled growth phase. But you, there are ways through that and there are ways around that. And it would take then outsourcing that, in getting the right people in, in, in engaging the right people to do it for you and or with you, and, and sometimes playing the game with somebody else in a similar business or sharing an idea with somebody. Oh, that's left of centre. I get it. But <clears throat> um, there are ways that you can solve the problem if, if not marketing and not sales is, is in your face
1: all the time. Yeah, just, just again speaking to that because it's, it's really important. We know, we have got to watch time, but we, the, it's typically an unconscious block that a person has to sales and marketing. So anyone that's got that feeling, ooh, well, you do it better than me, do it again <laughs> <promo>. <laughs> that, that, for the sales and market, if you've got that, um, we know that you've got belief systems that are undermining your ability to sell and market the anytime you've got an an uncomfortable emotion around that you need to go deep and see what it is because that's important marketing sales as we said is what makes you money and those blocks outside of your awareness will move you away from doing what you need to do as a, a marketing salesperson i ran a conference about three years ago over in perth and there was about 200 salespeople there Uh, from several organizations, Brendan, and I run a process with them, which helps them see their, their belief systems about selling. It was fascinating. The two top salesperson in the state came back with no negative unconscious beliefs about selling. Everyone else had unconscious negative beliefs about selling that previously doing that, that work they didn't know about, and it reflected in their ranking within the two organisations I was doing the training for. It was unbelievable. The more unconscious beliefs a person had that had a negative stance towards selling and marketing, the lower their results were. It was just absolutely fascinating. So you got to clear your, your, the, the junk out of your mind. By the and way, if, I've got a philosophy. <clears throat> sales and marketing is an act of love. Yeah, I I do, it's an act of love. So I want to get out there and share and and, and spread the word about what we do.
0: So if you're looking to get into a business, looking to evolve the business that you're in, um, looking to sell more properties that you have built or created or modified change, then sales and marketing are critical to the process of being able to succeed with that. It becomes potentially one of your biggest spends because that's one of the most impacting things to generate cash flow and revenue on the journey. And can I just bit... give two hints to
1: that? Sorry, sorry. Oh. Spend small before you spend big. So spend small amounts on marketing to test. When you can see your small amounts are returning, then you can invest more capital into it. Don't do it. Before you test on small amounts of money, the reason I say that, Brendan, I see lots of people that are super passionate and excited about their products and services. They come to me, they tell me about their marketing budget, and I'm like, "Oh my god, don't do that! Absolutely, they got this wild marketing budget without testing first. So test small." Oh, well, I challenge you on
0: that. Have a marketing budget, but don't don't go down a particular path without the test. Well, correct, a big I mean. marketing budget. No, will no, help yeah,
1: sorry, um, I'll, I'll a big marketing budget allocated to their assumption at this point hasn't been ah, tested it. and measured like, Oh, we just know this is going to work. Cause the product's so good. I'm going, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cool. And what was the second point? Uh, I forget. So keep going. I <laughs>
1: the <second>. <laughs> yeah,
0: big weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So now, um, as you're, as you're selling stuff, there is a process of selling that you will see evolve in the, uh, along the way know what that process is and know the conversion points because then you can refine the conversion points to improve your sales funnel to completion, to close. It is not
1: good enough just simply to market. You must be able to close at the back end. Brendan, that was my second point. So quickly, now I'm going to share a story in relationship to what you just said. So I'd go into a salon and what I would observe is they'd be spending thousands upon thousands of dollars on marketing that was producing a return, meaning it was bringing leads to their business. Their uh, staff were not converting properly. And therefore that investment in marketing to get leads was just money thrown away. This speaks to what you said about before. So if you're running a team and your team are involved in sales, you must get their conversion practices and processes working and have them tested and trained and delivering before you put the big spend on marketing because it's only sales that capitalises on marketing spend.
0: Brilliant. All right. Now, we've spent a lot of time on marketing, but we've done so deliberately because marketing and sales are the key sources of revenue generation for your business. Without sales and marketing, then there is no revenue and therefore business automatically fails. So we've spent a lot of time on that. What we're going to do now is go through the other things that allow and support that sales and marketing to exist and exist strongly. Have a realistic business plan. Um, you need Now, there are business plans out there that are very pie in the sky. Uh, I wanted to be financially free in a year and a half because my product's so great and I've got no experience. it There are unrealistic business plans. Our encouragement to you is not to create one of those. Our encouragement to you is to get on the ground with the people, with the studies that you're doing around investigation about the viability of what you're looking to do, Um, get to know the numbers, but have realistic goals and a business plan designed to meet those goals. Don't just have goals and no plan for, for completion or, or or creation of those goals or achievement of those goals. Goals unto themselves are nice, but they're high in the pie in the sky until there is a path. So the business plan has the goals and a path that helps you to achieve that. And that path is not just also high in the pie in the sky. It is a financial awareness about what each of those phases are along that path to achieve that goal. So create the business model for today and where it might evolve into. Create the business model for getting started so that you can generate revenue and sustain that revenue to create the wealth you want and the cash flow that you need. So going back very quickly into the, the numbers of a business. Profit equals the sales price minus the sales cost. So sales price minus sales cost times the number of sales that you can make. Take away from that the overheads or fixed costs and operating expenses. And that's what profit equals. If you can't model a business based on that, that generates a profit, don't get into business or change something dramatically so that you can generate a profit. Now, typically I understand Perry that, that, um, uh, All businesses are very different, but there's a sort of an underlying range. What is the profit margin on revenue, broadly speaking, for businesses that you've been mentoring? 30% often a good number. So if your your business, if your model is not demonstrating 30%, then refinement is required. If you go out there to plan for a 15% margin, then guess what? You're going to be doing it tough and you're going to lose a
1: lot of money on your revenue. There's another aspect to what you're talking about with the modelling. One of the things that I've observed with a lot of business owners is that they do not spend enough time modelling and playing around with models and actually really seeing how profitable their business can be or not be. Models are wonderful because they allow you to really evaluate whether your assumptions or ideas of how your model looks is actually working or not. And so if you spend the time modeling with that and you can say, well, this isn't going to work, there's too much effort and energy for return, then you can tweak your model and play around with different models. And I don't think people do this enough. And, and another point that I want to bring to that is I always employ, uh, outsiders. Like so I always have a financial controller that will come and work with me, uh, I always have a mentor, an advisory board person with a very big financial background for good reason because they will really help me see my models, understand my models and keep me accountable around my models, around my budgets. And I think that's really important to bring into play too, uh, Brendan, because it's too easy for a lot of business owners to forget to look at their financials. To forget to monitor their financials, especially if you're a certain personality types, because you're going to be front focused. And this is why I believe that everyone should have expertise in that area in their business, unless they have the appropriate training, which very few business owners do have. Now I agree wholeheartedly. Um,
0: take for example, a uh, business I was mentoring once upon a time. Um, they told me around, uh, they have this magnificent product and it just flies through the door and that's their their their, their primary product that, that's the one they hang their hat on. And they haven't done any modeling for ages. And it works out, you know, conversation. So how do why don't you model the value of profit margin for every product that you're selling? And the product that was selling the most was the one would actually making a loss for the company. Yeah because it was so cheap that everyone thought it was just a brilliant product and they went out and bought it and and they sold it. But every time they did, they're making a nominal loss, which had to be supported by
1: other products that were potentially more profitable. Perfect case in point for what we're talking about, just running it ignorantly, not knowing the numbers. So
0: cash flow is king. No cash flow, no business. You can have a great profitable product, but if you're, not selling it, it's not going to work. If you have a great product that is making a loss or not making enough money, then great, you've got cash flow, but you're not keeping enough to invest in other things or future marketing or whatever the case may be. So, cash flow is You must have cash flow. For property investors, cash flow is paramount. A lot of people that we have um, that I've mentored who have been struggling with. Uh, active property deals is so that they go into a property, I want to do a reno, but they don't do the number sufficiently and they find halfway through the reno, they're out of cash. So they've got a property with no kitchen that, that they can't proceed with. They can't rent out and can't put back on the market because they're out of cash and it kills a dead and it causes an, amount, an immense amount of anxiety and stress from the property owner. What do I do with my property? I must get some cash somewhere. So they take out more credit cards and they, whatever the case may be, but they get it and then they finish the job. And a hard lesson is learned. Cash flow is king. If you cannot see a deal through, a property deal through, if you cannot see your business through, if you're looking for money month in, month out in order to sustain the business, something is wrong somewhere. Redefine the nature and activity of your business. Increase the profitability. Increase the marketing spend so that you can increase your profitability. Do your modelling on each of your product lines to ensure there's at least 30% profit because without that, you're setting yourself up for failure. You are setting yourself up to be one of those people that dies at two years, five years, ten years
1: and not to be. By the way, and I also want to come back into that modelling thing from another perspective because, you know, this is not accounted for why people get out of business. But oftentimes people have to get out of business because they're burnt out. Right? Yeah, this is this is the reason that businesses fail. Um, in fact, I've got two clients at, the, at this at the moment that, that have set up business models. You can see me shaking my head, which are just ludicrous, and I explain why because the amount of effort and energy that it takes the business owners to produce that profit is profit, right? But they're dying, right? Mm. So uh, this, uh, this is from me, from my personal experience. In my modelling that I would do for anything that I'm involved with. The modelling also takes into account what Perry, what Perry has to actually do to get those returns. Yeah, this that, is really important. I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, good. well, it speaks to time and time, time and effort. It is not a equation of um, um, just dollars. It is it is how much time are you putting in, and what is the effort required in order for you to deliver it. If you are starting a business to create wealth and all you find out that you're doing is creating yourself another job. That's going to tie you to activity Monday to Friday for 60 hours of a week because there's no time left because you have to put that much in to create the cash on the revenue. Something is wrong somewhere. Correct.
1: Brendan, I've got coaches and they come to me with their models and they're usually doing okay. That's the type of person that will typically come to us. Um, They're typically doing okay and they're wanting to sort of do even better. And when they show me their modelling, it's like, oh, my God, really? To to achieve this profit, you're going to have to be working 50 hours with clients. you want to know how much hard work that is? And then you have to be doing 30 hours. It's just unsustainable. And that's why if you do your modelling, you can look at it and go, okay, so how can I get those revenues without that much input from me? Models just allow you to ask good quality questions, I reckon because they highlight problems before you go to the marketplace. Mm, indeed, okay. So
0: as part of the business plan, working on the business plan, we also need to investigate risks. Where can things go wrong? Do a SWOT analysis. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my opportunities and what are my threats? To the business, to the components of the business, to me being the sole owner of this business or the, the only senior member right now of this business or to team members or the key people of influence within the business, you need to do a SWOT analysis. So what are the big risks? Um, and, and some of them might be there is on the cusp uh, a new technology that will make my products superfluous. That's a big risk, a threat technological advancement, where are they they likely to be? And if that's going to happen in the next two years, well, I'm still evolving. I'm in trouble. What do I need to do differently? And the little risks. What are the things that I don't like doing that I put in my own way so that I don't do them and then my business suffers as a result? What are the self-sabotage mechanisms that I create from my own head that stop me from actually delivering? You need clarity on your business model Product modelling, product, array of products, profitability of each of those product, how it will make money, the time it takes, the effort it takes, the cost involved in making money so that you can walk away with a better lifestyle than the one you're living now. Because if you're doing it so that you don't achieve that, then you've got to ask the question, why am I doing this? Right, let's move on. Financing. Again, cash flow is king. And some of the typical reasons why businesses don't do so great is that they don't have enough capital reserve in the background to cover the business development to go to revenue generation. I've got an idea. I want to do this. I'll invest my time and money and capital I've got right now to get it ready to market. I'm ready now. And then they're out of money. There's no marketing. There's no ongoing um, uh, financial support available no backup plan a, a, a basic rule of thumb for do i have enough money to see this to market do your business plan figure out how much cash you think you need multiply it by three you should have
1: enough <laughs> same with time <laughs> indeed if exactly. you, yeah if you think it's going to take that multiply it by three uh, honestly the three formula is one i totally agree with
0: your primary objective when you're taking on your first business or when you're expanding your business into a new product range or you're expanding your business into a new field or a new market, your primary objective is you must plan for it. A lot of people in expansion, and we'll get to very shortly, in expansion don't plan that. I've done okay, I'm doing okay, I've got enough cash flow, I want to expand and let's just go and expand without planning and, and, and reserving enough time, effort and cash to deliver on it. But your objective here is to get to income stream as soon as possible. That's it. The money you go, the money you put into it, you need to get back as soon as possible. You need to get back that and and, and more, not just get it back and hope and pray that you get it back in five years and say you break even five years later. No, what you want to do is you want to put the money in and have a return on that through income. So get to re- revenue generation, income generation as soon as possible.
1: Yeah, to me, that's a safe strategy, a very, very safe strategy. It's the same approach that that we would take or we would advise because I like to get to that point because then I can start folding money back into growth, money that we are making and not dipping into capital. You know, like my words for that is that's kind of an organic growth path and when you've got an organic growth path, you're not risking money because you're only investing money you're actually making right here, right now from your business. Okay, so the next thing that people stumble on is
0: expanding too soon. Oh, thank God I've got my business going now. I'm, I'm okay. It's all happening. I've got some revenue. I've done this. <laughs> next level. Let's just go into the next level and let's go now. And it's generally a, a, a ready, fire, aim approach. It is I want to do it. Let's go and do it. Oops, now I need to plan for it. And we encourage obviously the reverse of this. Um, treat expansion like you're starting all over again Um, typically too little care and too many assumptions are made when people begin to expand let's not do that let's start to plan out the expansion process just like we're starting the business just like we're prepared to to get going on our first sale. also expansion is rarely funded well Um, there's not often a financial plan for expansion and the business will suffer cash flow pain as it sucks reserves dry in order
1: to get the expansion, and that stifles growth. Our oh, so core business is usually impacted, too. I mean, that's one of the biggest things is that as you go into expansion. So you, you've got it, you've got your your core business that's producing, and the moment you go to expansion, you're, you're going to take resources, and those resources are your own time, your the, your headspace. You're going to bring staff across. All of that tends to impact your core existing business negatively. You know, most, most people aren't corporations. I mean, I often talk to Georgina. She used to say to me, you know, in, in, in corporate life, you know, they just bring on a whole new team, <laughs> whole new team, billions and billions of dollars. They bring in a whole new team to fund the expansion of something new, to even test and trial something new. Um, so that they don't have their core business impacted. Most people don't have that luxury. So a very thing to be mindful of.
0: And when you're expanding, again, go into the same depth of understanding around target market for what you're now looking to provide. Do your modelling on the product you're now looking to provide. Um, Understand your new products, the service, and the intended customers, consumers, for what you're looking to produce. Because in doing so, then you'll have the greatest opportunity to be able to succeed with your expansion and to then amplify the business growth rather than go shoot from the hip expansion and fail or, or suffer financial loss or hardship as a result of a lack of planning and lack of preparation.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, but but what, what, what's interesting is you're, just, you're talking to key disciplines doesn't matter what you're doing in your business is these key disciplines. So you, you started out today talking about getting the modeling right, getting the budgeting correct. I, I added the aspect about bringing financial controllers who overview that, keep you accountable to that. Um, but then you were saying any, any, in the expansion phase, you're, you're bringing the same attention and the same discipline to that as well. <laughs> Agree, the detail uh, detail must exist
0: in the expansion process as it did in the setup and the startup process. Yeah. Beyond that, though, we also need to be flexible because the market does change. If you're looking to be a 15-year-plus business, you've got to expect markets to evolve, technology to evolve throughout that, that decade and a half on into the future. If you're planning to be a business, then you must also plan Flexibility, you must plan vulnerability as well as assessment, as well as um, ideas and, and and creation moments. Um, almost annually, if not six monthly, about what's happening in the market. Feedback, understanding
1: what's going on. So monitor the market and know where you need to alter your business plan. In, in my experience, Brandon, there's always what I'd call a golden vein open up, a golden vein opportunity. So, again, we, 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 do our, we do our business planning. We go out to the marketplace. But at some point and at some time, you'll find a golden vein opportunity. That means that your marketing in a certain area is working and it's working really, really well. You're getting the returns from that area. If you're not flexible and you're not observant, you won't even observe and notice that. But if you are flexible and observant, you will notice that and you'll tend to investigate, well, why is that happening? And you will start to slow down resources going to other areas to put into the golden vein area. So, again, this just speaks to that because if you're not open, you're not watching, you're not observing, that won't happen. And do you understand what I mean by the golden vein?
0: I do. It is something you tap into and become an expert in such that you can flow with it as it evolves.
1: Correct. It it, it could be a distribution network that opens up your product or service and that's where the money is. Or there's some shift in the way people think in a certain area. So they start wanting your product or service. You've got to be flexible and be willing to drop past plans to capitalize on those opportunities, especially if you're a smaller business. Be
0: mindful. Just like gold, um, veins run out, they run dry. So backup plans for uh, alternate products or for variations of that or you you, you don't throw all of your energy into one channel in the hope and prayer that it's going to last forever.
1: No, well, there's there, the, even if we talk about before, when you're talking about risk management, I've always got plan B and I always talk to my clients about having plan B always have, uh, you know, when you're doing a threat, your, your, your SWOT analysis, once you've done your SWOT analysis, then I always want my, okay, here's my first approach. And if that doesn't work, here's my secondary approach.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Backup plans, critical. So stay on top of key trends. And and if you are, if you do, that allows you the time to be able to then be prepared and foresee what's coming and be at the forefront, not the bleeding edge, but the leading edge of, of activity towards taking advantage of those new key trends coming up. All right. Moving on, get the right team on board. When people start up, they start on their own, thinking they're the right person to start. Sure, we get it. Then they then they go into, "Oh, I need some help. I'll call my family and friends. I will get those people I know who I love and trust, and and they will help me with my business." They are predominantly the wrong people to be getting. Why? Because they're not filling the need of the business at the time for the business expansion. They're they're providing a solution to a convenience for needing somebody now. And the dilemma you face with the process of I'll get family and friends is that there's not an assessment of the ability of them to fill the role. There's a I need help, come and help me now, urgency, satisfaction requirement, which is a, what is it, a short-term gain for a long-term pain. Let's avoid that. Let's work on this short-term pain to get the right people in for the long-term gain.
1: Yeah, uh, in my experience, um, and I don't want to, there's a whole training in how to get the right staff, but it, it's impossible, especially if you're just starting out to build a business without having the, the right people on board. You'll go to a certain point, as Brendan's saying, and then your staff will cause you more trouble than they bring you good and beneficial experiences. So let me just map this out for a second, Brendan. As a business owner, um, you need to be very clear thinking. You need to be on top of strategy, the vision, almost like the conductor of the business, the conductor of all the resources in the business, including people. And the moment that you have, uh, and that should be your major concentration, but the moment that you've got average, even just average staff on board, they're taking your mind units. That's how I like to think of it, mind units. I know Sandra's not that great, so I've got to keep an eye on her and and, and Tom's having – he's not that great with accounts. So all of a sudden, you've got these units, these mind or mental or energetic units over there on these other people. And so that already undermines your ability to be as effective as you can as a business owner. If you've got good key staff in place, it's amazing. Because you concentrate on what you concentrate on, they concentrate on what they concentrate on, and that means that you're free to be working at at your best, which is what you need to be as a business person. Part of that, of
0: course, though, is understanding self and understanding who you are and what your strengths are. Fairly pointless getting people in like you to be as, who have similar strengths to because you're relatable to them to go out and build this business, that's not going to work. You want to get complimentary people in. They don't have the same strengths you do. They have different strengths. You delegate your weaknesses to them. They will then question you on who, how you're doing and what you're up to, have a listening and an open mind to receive those questions and to assess and self-assess because if you come from an obstinate, I'm right, this is how it's going to be on the authority here. You will trip over your own self-sabotage mechanism. You will trip over your own um, egos and unseen blind spots and stumble on the business will struggle. Get people in who are complimentary, make a skill assessment of you, skill assessment of them, and then be open to working as a team as opposed
1: to you being the sole authority on all. And adding to that, we're all naturally gifted at different things. In fact, you and I should do a whole pod video casts on this subject because you can look at psychometric profiling. I actually look at businesses. You can look at people through the eyes of psychometric profiling. But you can look at businesses through the eyes of psychometric profiling. And that gets really interesting because it actually talks to what you're talking about now. But we've all got these natural gifts and we've got our challenges. And if we can know our natural gifts, so as an example, Brendan obviously is very good communicator orator. Um, he's good at telling stories. So he's the type of person you might want out the front of your business, building relationships with people, because that will be a core strength of his. We also know he's great at math. Um, which are usually, by the way, for those of you that are listening, oftentimes you don't get really, really good people, people with good people skills. And they're really good with the details. Brendan happens to have both those things in place. But if you're a person that's really creative, a very good communicator, you're passionate, um, you talk with your hands when you talk, you've usually got lots of ideas, you're strategic, but you're not good with details, then you've got to ensure that you have someone on your team that just loves working with details. They're really good with details. They love facts. They love spreadsheets. And they mightn't like being a verbose communicator. And so you'll typically get on because you'll both handle both like really important aspects within your business but within your gift set because one of the big things i see brendan when people don't understand this stuff they've got people in the wrong roles in the business and no one's enjoying what they do There's stress. this is just basic stuff and not a lot of people know about it you can find the right people for the role using psychometric profiling systems
0: And we would absolutely encourage that. Take the time to get the right people involved, but do the assessment on yourself first to know where it is that your strengths are and where it is you're not strong so that you can ensure that you get the right people to fill the team around you. Just rounding this point out, If you're looking to start a business, be also aware of you and the mindset from which you're coming from. If you've just been employed and you're looking to start a new business, then you have an employee mindset and you need to think that, hang on a minute, you you can't take an employee mindset into an entrepreneurial position. By
1: by the way, Brendan, sorry, I know I'm cutting you off. You can go. But but, um, people that have come from an employee perspective or, or the past experience as an employee They always come into the business as the resource. So uh, this is, for me, a very clear way of defining the difference. As a business owner, we control and allocate resources. Now, resources are finance. Resources are ideas, IP. Resources are people. So, Mm. yeah, time. So you can see if if you actually approach things that way, you don't go, oh, I'm the resource doing all these things. You're going, who? can I get to do this? What resource can I get to do this? And that could just be software. It could be a system that you've got to set up. Um, But they're very two different places to come from as a business owner, where the employee will tend to walk in. I am the resource and try to do everything themselves. Now they'll start the business in that way, but the moment they get busy, there's a bottleneck, right? Because (laughs) you get me. Absolutely. Yeah. Keep going to it. That's to me, they come in thinking, well, I'm a resource, a real business. owner goes, I need to control and allocate resources.
0: I, I am the orchestra director and I direct resource.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Very, very different. Now, if you, my encouragement to you, if you are an employee right now and you are looking to start a business, no problem. We encourage you to do so, but we don't encourage you to leave work, go into full-time business with all of the money that you've saved over the last 20 odd years, trying to blow it and make that happen. Cause that is a kind of recipe for disaster or, or a, and a significant risk. You don't know that you don't know that you're thinking like an employee. My encouragement to you if you're starting out from an employee position looking to get into business over a period of time is to take on some part-time businesses. Start some smaller business and outside of hours, test and measure how your thinking is, and you'll find that over time your thinking involves It evolves and you are less of a resource trying to make stuff happen, more of an awareness of I need to manage resources to make stuff happen. The other big shift from a mindset perspective about starting out is the technical skill versus the profit orientation. If, and, and it speaks to what you said earlier, Perry, if it works out that you are bringing a product as the ideal product into a market, you are the technical product and everything is all about the product. You are not a business owner. So my encouragement is don't try on taking on, leave work, leave my income, leave whatever I'm doing right now to take this product into the market. It'll be just brilliant because I'm a technical wizard and I know what I'm doing. It is, is flawed and setting yourself up for a, a, a a potential higher risk of earlier failure. And, and the way you do that again is to start to work on well, what does it take to run a business? Who do I need to run a business? Question actual business operation versus the delivery of product or the creation of product. They'd be, be different things that we'd encourage you to t- consider right now. Want to end on, on this final point, though, Perry. Don't ignore good advice. There are people around you who will give you words and they're not skilled at what they do. It's like your hairdresser telling you how to run a business or it's like your, um, your I don't know, your dog walker trying to tell you how to create rocket science. It's, it's not compatible. Listen to those who have done it. Listen to those who have been there. Go and seek the right advice. Seek the good advice. It will cost. Good advice costs. Be prepared to pay that price. But don't flippantly just go and throw your money at somebody Um, you need to throw your money at um, people who know what they're doing. So do you research on the people who know what you're doing, who who say they know what they're doing? Do you research on them, understand their skills and what they can bring to the table, then spend your money with them
1: because with them, then you will get the right information for your business. Does that make sense, Perry? Oh, it makes total sense. And I, I just want to add to that. Your mentor in some way will be hard on you always, right? Because I'll explain this. Because wherever your area of weakness is, you need a mentor. And that mentor will be bringing information to you that might be challenging to you or outside of your existing skill set. That's what I mean by Mm -hmm. them being hard on you. But it's an invaluable relationship because they keep you accountable to areas that you naturally won't if you try and go on your own. I mean, I learned this stuff too through mistakes I made, Brendan. It's like it's invaluable. It's It's trying to do things on my own rather than than get the right expertise where the right expertise makes all the difference.
0: The point you just said, you learnt by making mistakes on your own. My encouragement, allow yourself to make mistakes. Don't expect it to get it right first time you won't. It's not possible. Allow yourself to make mistakes. And it's okay to make mistakes. Be okay with that. Just manage the size of the mistake. Um, you don't want massive mistakes. And the idea of getting good advice and the right advice and not ignoring that advice is, is the process of avoiding the major mistakes. Yeah, by by the trip. way,
1: don't play the game so bad that you get wiped out of the game. agree. Right. right? That's, yep. that's yeah. You can make mistakes, but not to the point that you, that you can't don't have enough capital to get up and go again or.
0: Correct. So seek those, seek good advice from those that you can trust with those good advice. again, Avoid anybody with a vested interest. Don't go into a business or an advisory scenario where there is a vested interest in that they have for you. Don't go to a real estate agent and seek information about should you buy this property. Yeah, it, 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 that's contradictory and set yourself up for risk and failure. Work with a mentor in your niche to gain insight and guidance, and meet regularly with your financial fin, meet regularly with your financial advisor to stay on track and reach financial goals. It's critical. Perry, I want to thank you ever so much for joining me today. It has been an incredibly powerful um, conversation around how people can see business differently and take responsibility for the business that they're looking to generate, the wealth they're looking to generate for themselves the, the errors and areas where people fail in business are important to know from the perspective of not repeating those problems. Perry, one last pearl of wisdom from where you're at around how people can continue to succeed with the business or continue along their journey towards becoming a business owner and successful one. The last
1: sort of bit of insight I want to give based on the, topic today. And I think it's a really important one. We've sort of covered it, but I want to just dig into it quickly a little bit more. One of the things that I see business owners doing is, and lots of business owners doing this, they work too hard in everything other than marketing and sales. There's a formula that I work with my clients around and I try to get them to spend, them or their team, 50% of their time in marketing and sales. 20% of their time in delivery or product development and 30% of their time in the management of the finances of their business and overviewing their plans and strategic planning. So if you've got 50% of your time spent marketing and selling or 50% of your team's time spent marketing and selling and your marketing messages are right, you usually do very well. Guys,
0: Until we meet again, invest your time and invest your money wisely.
1: Thank you.